at Calvary Worship Center, and, and it's not a new thing. It's not a new thing. In fact, it's a very old thing. But the Holy Spirit, he's, he's wanting to manifest himself and bring himself alive, awake in us in, in very powerful ways. Um, for many years, uh, and this is not my sermon, this is just what the Lord uh, put on my heart. For many, for many years, <clears throat> I, I sat in church, and we'd have phenomenal moves of the Holy Ghost. I mean, I've seen some miraculous stuff take place. But unfortunately, there's been a lot of times in history when we've had a move of the Holy Ghost and there has been no heart of repentance that followed it to carry on beyond the encounter. Is anybody awake this morning? Okay. There was not a real heart of repentance that carried on beyond that encounter. Last Sunday morning, we had a move. I mean, we had a move of God. And uh, we had a lot of our elders who came up and they gave words. And uh, before church Sunday morning last week, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he gave me a word. I didn't want to uh, jump in the mix because we had a lot of great things being said. Uh, but he, he spoke to me last Sunday morning when I was getting ready for church. And he said, Tanner, he said, you know, there's a signs and wonders revival that's coming. There's a signs and wonders revival that's coming. But right now, Calvary Worship Center is in a revival of sanctification. Calvary Worship Center, <clears throat> the, the signs and wonders, they're going to come. That, that's, going, that's down the pipe. But right now, the revival that's here is a revival of sanctification. See, if God's going to bring company over, he needs to make sure his house is clean. Are you all hearing me this morning? And... Uh, with, with that said, we're moving into fasting at Calvary Worship Center. Um, I believe it's a, it's a good morning to receive instruction. We've had a, lot, we've had a big dose of the ghost lately, haven't we? Uh, and this is a good morning to receive some, some instruction and some teaching on the matter. Uh, and fasting, it is a filtration process for your spirit man. That's what it is. It is a filtration process for your spirit man. Um, as I begin this morning, I, I want to preface this and say this is not a conventional fasting sermon. This is not a conventional fasting message. Um, you may wonder, Tanner, what on earth are, are you going for here as I begin this? But I want to ask you to follow me, follow with me, track with me. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and take you somewhere where with the, the help of the Holy Spirit, we're going to try and arrive at a destination that I think is going to be very beneficial in our understanding and our comprehension for fasting. Uh, now, as you as you came up going through uh, grade school, probably high school age, as I think about it, would have been the time that you would have uh, come to learn about this. But uh, you should have learned going through school about a, a man named Sir Isaac Newton. Y'all, anybody remember Sir Isaac Newton? If you did not learn about Sir Isaac Newton in school, you probably shouldn't have gone to that school, okay? Uh, that, there's probably a bad sign, all right? But listen, Isaac Newton uh, is referred to as the father of physics, all right? He was referred to as the father of physics. One thing that uh, he is famous for are his laws of physics, his laws of motion, uh, of motion uh, and, and namely uh, his third law of motion, which explains, hear this now, explains the relationship, the relationship between a physical object and the forces that are acting upon it. 
Okay, it explains the relationship between a physical object and the forces that are acting upon it. For example, a, a bullet that's being fired from the chamber of a gun. Or, or maybe when you're at the, the bowling alley and the bowling ball, you send down the lane plowing into uh, uh, the lineup of pins. Well, not me, because I can't hit bowling pins to save my life. I, that's why I like to bowl with kids, because they use bumpers, okay? And I, I can do good with bumpers. But you get the idea. You get the idea. And the expression that is used for this third law of motion that, that Newton came up with, uh, and it's, it's kind of like John 3.16. You ought to be able to cite it off. It's, it says, for every action, there is an equal and opposite Reacted. Good job. Holy cow. Wow. Yeah. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Now, I want to explain to you this morning that this is not an original concept. This is not an original principle. And as a matter of fact, this in a broader sense is an ancient principle that existed long before Isaac Newton ever applied it to, to natural force and physical motion. Uh, this, this principle of for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction. It's a principle that if you can understand it spiritually, there is a supernatural benefit to be reaped from it. Now track with me. Understanding that Newton, the, the father of physics, coined the phrase, the law, for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction. God, the father, not, not the father of physics, but the father, period, okay, he has his own law. And he has created his own principles, which all else throughout all time and history have been derived from. God has his own principle that is applied since we were created. And this principle, hear me now, this principle of God, unlike that of Isaac Newton, it doesn't just address the realm of natural forces, but God's principle incorporates the very real and very active supernatural element that we are all subject to as created beings. This principle, this spiritual law, it would say physical acts of obedience bring about spiritual release. Anybody hear me this morning? Physical acts of obedience bring about a spiritual release. This, now, this, this law, this principle of God, uh, by what we just said, it could also be reversed to say, hear me now, physical acts of disobedience. Or apathy also bring about spiritual release. Is anybody following me this morning? And as we move into fasting, we have to understand that we are interacting every day with one another in a physical realm. But each and every day, each and every moment, there is a very real and a very involved supernatural realm that affects what goes on in this physical space. And what you do... And what you say, how you act right here in the scene has direct influence and can also be a direct byproduct of what's going on in the unseen. There is something to be said, especially as Christians, about how our actions, our activities, our behaviors, our words, our physical postures, how they have got direct connection and influence over the activities deployed all around us in the supernatural realm. If you could see in the spirit right now in this very moment, I believe that you would see angels circling all around us right now. Right around, all around us. I, I believe you would see some of the most beautiful displays 
as a product of our, our worship and uh, the music taking place, all this activity and action taking place in the supernatural realm because of our worship, I believe you'd potentially see angels and, and demons warring against one another as the demons are, are battling for your mind, trying to get your attention, trying to keep you distracted and pulled away so that you can't receive what God is trying to download into you. And, and for some of us, this is a well-grasped concept, while others... It may seem foreign, but here's the principle. Here's the bottom line. Physical acts of obedience bring about spiritual release. Are you following me this morning? I want to give you a couple examples from our Bibles to illustrate this point. Because uh, uh, you have to understand this principle going into a fast. Open up your Bibles to the book of Exodus. Uh, it's going to be on the screen. Exodus chapter 17. We're going to start Exodus chapter 17, verse 10. It says, uh, if you're not familiar with the text, I actually referenced it during announcements, which was funny. Um, we're, we're, the Israelites and the Amalekites are in battle with one, one another, okay? You need to keep that in mind. Exodus 17, verse 10. We're going to read through verse uh, 13. It says, so Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses... Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy and they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat thereon and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. So, so here we have Moses on top of this mountain, on top of this hill. And uh, he's actually holding, it says the, in his hand, the rod of God. And, and as long as he keeps the posture, as long as Moses on top of this hill keeps the posture of his hands lifted up, his arms raised, the Israelites will continue to defeat the Amalekites. Okay? When Moses gets tired and he can't hold up his hands, the Amalekites, they begin to advance. Aaron and Hur, they, they get him a stool. They get him a little bench to sit on this rock, this stone for Moses to be seated on. And they grab both of his arms and they hold them up for Moses. And hear me now. They place Moses back into the posture of obedience and in faith. And therefore, Israel begins to retake lost ground and they end up winning the battle. Understand this. There was a physical obedience to God which brought about a spiritual release of blessing and of favor on Israel. Are you following the point this morning? Now, that's our Old Testament. If you look in your New Testament, jump over to the book of Acts. Book of Acts chapter uh, 16. We're going to read, and there's a thousand other examples in the Bible. These are just two that came to the top of my mind, okay? Uh, book of Acts chapter 16, we're going to start verse 23. Uh, Paul and Silas, they're in prison. Uh, uh, and it says in verse 23, And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight... Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bands 
were loose. So listen to me. There was a physical act of obedience in loud praise and of prayer. They, the, everyone in the jail cell, they heard them. There was the physical act of outward praise and prayer. And the spiritual release was a jailbreak. Hallelujah. It was a jailbreak. There is power and physical obedience to God in the spiritual law. The spiritual principle is that power brings a supernatural spiritual release of favor and blessing on your life. When you open up your mouth and you begin to move your body in faith and in worship and in obedience to God as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you may not see it immediately in the physical. It may, it may feel like your prayers hit a brick ceiling that's cemented uh, above your head, but when when you step out physically on faith, regardless of your feelings, there are entire mountain ranges in the spirit that are being moved on your behalf. Somebody give God a praise. If you could view, yes, if you could view through the lens of the supernatural, you would see the entire land structure change in the instant that you submit with humility your life and obey with what you have to offer to God, which is your physical nature. There are times, church, when God requires a physical action for spiritual results. Amen. Now, the difference between us as believers uh, and those who are in the world regarding this concept of physical obedience bringing a spiritual release, uh, it's not that it doesn't apply to those in the world. Uh, it's not that it does not apply to them. And in fact, people in the world, uh, they're victims of their own ignorance. They're victims of their own ignorance. The difference between the believers and those in the world is that as believers, we're more aware of it. We are spiritually cognizant. Now hear me, there are those who are saved who ignorantly disregard the supernatural. They're out there, and there's too many of them to tell you the truth. They're out there. And then there are those who are unsaved, and they are very aware of the power that physical action and activity has on the spirit world. But the problem is they're serving the wrong master. Listen to me, as believers this morning, we don't serve the wrong master. We're on the winning team, okay? We know about the angelic. We know about the demonic. We realize that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We're aware of a realm that we cannot see. And matter of fact, Hebrews, this is such a cool verse. Hebrews says, be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Listen to me. There is a very real, very engaged, supernatural element to everything that we come in contact with in this life. And your physical commitment to obedience to Jesus brings a spiritual release. And listen to me. Fasting and prayer are major keys in this concept that you've got to get a hold of. Now, let me express to you the problem here. The problem uh, is that in portions of the church... As alluded to a moment ago, we do nothing with this spiritual element in our Christian life. We, we disregard it. Some of us do. We ignore it. We disregard our responsibility to recognizing the supernatural. And, and I don't want to harp or uh, re-preach what Pastor Michael has been doing such a great job of preaching. Uh, but I, I kind of want to take my own slant on this for a moment. Uh, because there are two things the church has corrupted itself with 
within this regard. Two things. Number one, apathy. We're apathetic. And number two, excuses. We've got too many excuses. Now listen to me. One, apathy. Apathy says, I I don't care enough. I I don't have enough conviction to be physically obedient with my body to deny myself in order to gain more of Christ. I don't have that in me. And then two, your your excuses, they justify, they, they substantiate that apathy. Now listen to me. Many of us live, unfortunately, in that realm of apathy and excuses, but we don't realize it because we don't admit it to ourselves. We don't actually self-evaluate honestly enough with any Holy Spirit conviction. We don't have any Holy Spirit conviction because we have no Holy Spirit relationship. Come on, somebody. In this sort of life, it results in the, we don't feel led to do this, or that's really not my calling. That's what that leads to. Are you following me this morning? There's many times, actually, that I've heard uh, from from people, well, you know, that's just not my personality, and so I, I don't. I know that God doesn't want me uh, to do that. I, he wants to use me in a way that fits me because of how He made me. Let me tell you something. That's baloney. God wants you to die to yourself. If there's more of me in you than Him, then something's got to die. You better call the grave digger quick. All right, because either you're going to die in sin or you're going to die to yourself and live in Christ. There's two options there. You choose which one you pick. Now listen to me, too much of the church, it unfortunately has a, it's really it's a critical spirit is what it is. And too much of the church says things as though, uh, you know, I feel as though I'm humble, so I never have to bow on my knees at an altar or at the foot of my bed. I, I, I feel as though I'm humble, so we don't have to read our Bible together as, as a family. I, I, I love the Lord in my heart. I love him in my heart, so I never have to give any outward expression or acknowledgement of my salvation. I, I gave my life to Jesus. I'm surrendered to him. I, I never have to raise my hands or worship or, or praise. You know, I, I don't know, people will say. I don't know why uh, they hoop and holler and jump and shout and dance and run and, and just carry on so loud. It's, I wish they'd calm down. It's so unnecessary. A lot of people say, I, I don't have to witness. If God is going to save them, he'll work on them, their heart himself or he'll send someone else. Uh, what's the point of fasting? I can get close to God another way. Listen to me. The American church is full of apathy and excuses, and we've lost our first love, which has left our salvation diluted and our spiritual depth compromised. We've reprioritized the cross with the pride of our desires, the pride of our wants, the pride of our dreams, the pride of our aspirations. We have dethroned God in our hearts and crowned our aspirations as Lord of all, and this has led a cacophony of darkness and wickedness into our lives, leaving us who carry the water of life contaminated by the culture. Fallen prey is what we are to a delusion we don't even realize we've succumbed to. Our heads are stirred in a cloud. Our heads are stirred in a frenzy of our own compromising. God is calling his church to wake up and to realize that the supernatural is real. It is very active and it is engaging you in your home. It's engaging you in your car. It's engaging you at your job. It's engaging you in your marriage. It's engaging you in your finances. It's engaging your kids at school. God is trying to tell his church that the demonic is real, that the angelic is real, and it's up to you to become physically obedient, engaging in the war that's already raging all around you. That's what's going on. You may not see arrows fly, and you may not have to duck for cover, but there are souls at stake. There are futures at stake. 
There's hearts that are at stake. There's children that's at stake. Your future in doing what you can for God is at stake. And regardless of what you feel, it's your physical obedience to God that has the power to bring about a spiritual release. And God said that is your reasonable service. Hallelujah. If you would, uh, open up your Bibles with me again. We're going to go to the book of Daniel. Book of Daniel chapter 10. We're going to split this text into two sections. Uh, We're going to read two verses and we're going to hop to another two. So we're going to start in verses 2 and 3. Daniel uh, chapter 10, verses 2 and 3. Uh, It says, In those days I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, Neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. I ate no pleasant bread, no flesh or wine came out of my mouth, I didn't anoint myself at all for 21 days, three full weeks. Hop over to verse 10, and behold, a hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright, for unto thee I now sent. And when he had spoken this to me, I stood trembling. I stood trembling. It it said in verses 2 and 3 where we just read that Daniel was mourning for three full weeks. He ate no pleasant bread, uh, no meat or wine entered into his mouth. Verse 3 said he didn't anoint himself, uh, meaning that he didn't use any uh, array of of personal uh, hygiene items like like lotions or perfumes, or he didn't use his deodorant, okay, bottom line. Uh, He didn't use his deodorant. His smell was not great. It says he did this for 21 days. He had three full weeks of stank on him and, and being hangry, all right? Get the picture in your mind. This is what Daniel's condition was. Three solid weeks, he went without all which was pleasant. He went without all which was pleasant. He was fasting. So that meant, church, that it cost him something. This three weeks wasn't easy. This three weeks wasn't cheap. It was a time of mourning. And that means it was a time of denial to the flesh. Come on, somebody. It was a time of giving up pleasantries. It was a shift of focus from him toward consecration to God. It was a physical act of obedience that would bring about a spiritual release. And when we hopped down and read in verse 10 and 11, it said, Behold, a hand touched me. Verse 11, And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved. A man greatly beloved. If you if you look at the Hebrew for that word in verse 11, uh, uh, beloved, a man greatly beloved, it is actually the same exact word as pleasant from verse 3. I ate no pleasant bread. Oh, Daniel, man, greatly beloved. Pleasant and beloved in the Hebrew, that's actually the exact same word in the Hebrew text. And these words, beloved and, and pleasant in the Hebrew, are called 
Kimdaw, okay, you could have someone pronounce it a lot better than I could. But these words, these two words, they mean that which is desirable. That which is desirable. So if you plug that into the text we read, in those days Daniel was mourning for three full weeks. He ate no desirable bread, no, no food which was desirable entered into my mouth, no desirable meat, drink, cologne, or, or deodorant. I ate no desirable bread. I, I denied myself of desirable things. Then verse 10 and 11, And behold, a hand touched me and said, O oh, Daniel, a man greatly desired, a man who has become greatly desirable to me. Daniel, you gave up pleasant, desirable things for three weeks. And now you in return have become what is pleasant and desirable to me. And and, and later in Daniel chapter 10, in verse 19, later in that same chapter, God uses the same word for Daniel again. Daniel, oh oh man, greatly beloved. Oh man, greatly desired. Daniel, you gave up that which was desirable, and now you have become that which is desirable. Follow me here for a moment, because hear me. There is a powerful relationship. There is a mingling relationship between being a living sacrifice and receiving divine favor. You catching that? There is a powerful relationship, a deep, powerful, spiritual mingling between being a living sacrifice and receiving divine favor. Now, I want you to understand something, because if you don't understand this, you can get yourself in a world of hurt, okay? There is a difference between the love of God and the favor of God. Do not get the two mixed up. There is a difference. Here in our verse, or excuse me, the love of God, I need you to understand this part first. The love of God is free. The favor of God is earned. The love of God is free. The favor of God is earned. The love of God costs you nothing. And being the recipient of life awards you the matchless love of God. You can't earn it. You've done nothing to deserve it. You've got it because you're his child. He created you in his image. He loves you. It's free. It's full. And it's yours. You've got full access. That's the love of God. You can't run out of it. You can't add to it. It's what it is. It is the love of God. Now, hear me. The favor of God costs you something. The love of God is a promise. The favor of God is a gift. The love of God is a promise. The favor of God is a gift. You start off with this gift of favor at salvation, and the more of it that you want is not dependent upon if if God is willing to give it. Let me tell you, God is willing to pour out his favor on you and your life by the gallon. Hear me. But what's dependent, what the determining factor is, is whether or not you are willing to offer your body as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God as your reasonable service, whether or not you're willing to give physical obedience that will bring a supernatural release of miracles, of blessing, and of favor. If you want the favor of God, if you want to become he or she who is desirable, then you've got to give up that which is desirable. Come on, somebody. You see, there is, with God, there's a correlation that he is attracted to when someone who loves him gives up that which is desirable and replaces it with pursuit of him and his heart and his plans and his motivations 
And hear me, we've got to become a church living for more of him, less of me, a church whose denial is not their shame or their embarrassment of the gospel, but whose denial is of themselves and pleasant bread and that which is desirable. And hear me, this is important for you to understand. There's a reason that Jesus said to his disciples when he was talking about the demonic, when he said, these come, don't come out except by prayer and fasting. There's a reason for that. There, there are some devils that if you want to cast them out, you'd better be close to God. Because listen to me, they are not intimidated by your mediocrity. They're not. They know you better than you know yourself most of the time. They studied you out. The fact is that you need the anointing. You need the favor of God all over your life. When you walk around your house, you need to be able to turn around, look back on the ground, and there'll be footprints because you're leaving oil sticking everywhere. Just that anointing of the Holy Ghost, that favor of God on your life. You, you need a heavenly track record with Jesus logged with the miles that you've gone together because when it comes to God, there's an attractive quality about fasting that increases his favor and anointing in your life. And, and here's the beautiful part about it. That genuinely, this is the beautiful part about uh, fasting. If, if you're fasting with correct motivations, hear me now. If you're fasting with correct motivations, you're not searching from something from him anyway. If you're fasting with the right heart, you're not on a treasure hunt. Listen to me. You're fasting. If you're fasting right, what you're doing is you're fasting to receive God's heart, not your answer. You know, in Psalms, it actually says, uh, it, it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. I want you to hear me because God is not a trickster. God is not a trickster. But the reason that that verse works so well and works every time is because when you've made Jesus the delight of your life, hear me now, then everything you desire in your heart stands under the shadow of his will and his heart. If it doesn't fit in his will, then you say, I can't have it. I don't want it. If it doesn't feel right to his heart and you know what his heart feels like because you've been intimately close with him, you say, it can't stay. Hear me. It's the holy principle of selflessness and the model of the Bible has always been from death to life. And this is the huge key in fasting. I'm going to close pretty soon. I want to address a couple more things, though. I've heard from a lot of books, uh, a lot of preachers. I've heard it on a lot of Christian uh, TV uh, that fasting and prayer is a a mysterious magnet that draws God in. Uh, I've heard people say that, allude to that kind of a concept, uh, that that there is some mysteriousness uh, about going without food that makes God's voice just so so clear. Uh, I've heard a lot of mystery. That's how I'll say it. I've heard a lot of mystery put into the realm, the concept of fasting and prayer. And, and I hope that you've never heard that and been confused uh, by those kinds of statements before. But uh, if you have, I want to clear the air because listen to me. There is nothing mysterious about fasting and prayer. There's not one thing confusing or mysterious about fasting and prayer. Here's the key. Food is not the reason fasting is so attractive to God. Food is not the reason fasting is so attractive to God. Submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, 
over your life is the reason that fasting is so attractive to God. When you deny that which is desirable and you submit yourself to God, making him more than your Savior, but also, hear me, your Lord, that makes God excited because all of a sudden you're somebody that he can work with. Listen to me. All God has ever wanted was a family. Worship team, go ahead and come on up. All God has ever wanted was a family. That's all he's ever wanted. The institution of the family long predated that of the church. God prioritized in Genesis the institution of the family in, in creation. And it's, hear me, it's by our compromises and our justification of sin that we have, a, this is tough what I'm about to say, but I need you to hear my heart because this has to do with everything revolving fasting and denial of oneself. So hear my heart. It's our compromises and our justification of sin that we have abandoned our role as the bride of Christ and instead have become a hooker for the pimp that is our flesh and our desire. All God wants is to have a people who love him the same way that he's loved us. But we're too busy being an adulterous bride, standing on the street corner of temporary fulfillment and materialism or, or, or positions, waiting on the next quick fix to pick us up and show us a good time. God is looking for a church who doesn't just take him for the benefits of the blood, but rather is willing to lay down their bill of rights to the constitution of the cross of Jesus Christ, the ultimate place of sacrifice, the ultimate place of death to oneself, the memorial ground of selflessness and denial of the flesh. God wants a church who doesn't just use him as savior to skip out of a burning hell, but he wants a church that calls him Lord, a church that calls him master, a church that calls him judge a church that calls them decision maker a church that calls them the deciding vote a church that calls them the supreme authority a church that makes him the king of kings and the lord of lords and the wonderful counselor and the mighty god el shaddai adonai jehovah nisi god our banner god is looking for a church that doesn't want a spotlight but he rather wants a place to serve the church doesn't need to have spotlights we need to have volunteer positions a church committed to advancing the king of God with their hands raised in high in obedience and praise so that Malachites don't win. He's looking for a church that when one of us can't hold up our arms any longer, there are two people on standby to hold them up for us. He wants a church who is submitted in every way to his perfect will and his divine authority. A church that's hungrier for God's will more than our way. God says, if you deny that which is desirable, you will become very desirable to me. You will become very desirable to me. Submitting to the total lordship of Jesus Christ over our lives. Offering our bodies as living sacrifices. Being physically obedient with our actions. Church, that's our gratitude and our humble service for the sacrifice that God made for us on Calvary. This is our return back to him. Fasting to get closer to God, that's really the least we can do. That's the least we can do. And as I, as I close, I, I want you to say this with me. I want you to say it out loud with me. I want you to say, physical obedience to God brings spiritual release. Now say, in order to become desirable to God... 
I have to give up that which is desirable to me. Amen. This is not a a conventional uh, fasting sermon. Uh, I'll do that next week, okay? I'll do that next week. But it's ground that has to be covered in order for your fasting and your prayer in this time that our church has come together. It has to be covered so that your fasting and prayer can be effective. Because if you don't understand the heart behind something, you'll miss the entire purpose of it. I titled this message, The Physics of Fasting, because these are the laws of motion when it comes to fasting, when it comes to prayer. These are the components, these are the gears that shift and work together that makes fasting and prayer so powerful. God is ready to move at Calvary Worship Center. Amen? He's ready to move at Calvary Worship Center, but like I said earlier, if he's going to invite company over, he has to make sure he has a clean house. It's kind of like what Brother Johnson always says, you can't carry the water alive in a dirty bucket. I love that. You can't carry the water alive in a dirty bucket. Fasting is a powerful filtration process, a powerful sanctification process that Jesus expects us to use. He said not if you fast, but when you fast. It's not an if. It's not a thing where like maybe you're going to do this. He said if you're a believer, uh, you're going to do this. And if you don't do that, what's that make you? Makes you a disobedient kid. You really don't have an option, to tell you the truth. You don't have an option, but that's part of surrendering your rights to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's why fasting is so attractive. That's why fasting is so attractive. As believers, you don't have rights. I don't know why we've allowed America to lie to us and say that we have rights. We do not have rights. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you. That means that you're not you. That means all you are is a building. All you do is host the ghost. All you do is facilitate what the owner says. This is not your body. This is a temporary space. You're a building. You're this building. The Holy Spirit in you is the one who decides what gets to happen, what doesn't happen. And the reason fasting and prayer is so attractive is because that's us recognizing that submission to his authority. And a lot of the times we have such a hard time with that because we have a hard time with authority. That's like a beast thing sometimes. It could be a beast thing. But we have a hard time with authority. And can I tell you something? If you have a hard time with human submission to authority, you're going to have a hard time with God authority because you're going to think you have a right to do and say what you can and want. Okay? You don't have a right. And you'll live in the greatest freedom and the greatest peace. The path that you don't have your fingerprints on will all all of a sudden become the sweetest. Because you've denied yourself. You've denied your rights. You've surrendered to God. You're not worried about your position. You're not worried about anything around you. You're focused on the lordship of Jesus and what he can do through you. You're the vessel. You're not the one making the calls. And when we recognize that posture, that position as being a Christian... All of a sudden, the glory of God can manifest himself in a powerful way. You're not going to have to go crazy about gifts, spiritual gifts, healing, prophecy. No, because that's a natural byproduct as a believer. Divine healing is a natural byproduct of a believer. The gifts of the Spirit manifesting in the church, the gifts of the Spirit manifesting in your household, the gifts of the Spirit manifesting at your job, 
that is the byproduct of you being righteous and obedient. Because physical obedience to God brings a spiritual release. And if you're wanting some of the glory, you've got to learn to die to yourself. You've got to wake up every morning and say, Paul, I'm going to identify with you. I've got to die today. I'm going to take up my cross and I'm going to walk. I'm going to carry that burden. I'm going to go, before I go to school, before I go to work, I'm going to go outside. I'm going to dig myself a grave. And I'm going to throw my old Adam straight into that grave. And I'm going to let the Christ Jesus inside of me, that son of David, that root of Jesse, begin to sprout up in me and shoot forth, springing forth with the power and the anointing of God on my life. And then whenever you come across a devil, whether it's a possessed person or a devil trying to mess with you in whatever circle you're walking, you'll be able to say, I can cast you out because I've been praying and I've been fasting. And I'm not mediocre. I've got power. Amen. 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 What I want to do this morning is ask you to stand to your feet. And they're going to lead, Tyler, y'all are going to lead us in the song. And as we close, you're going, we're just going to have a time of worship. And when they're done with the song, you're dismissed. Okay? Let's just take this as a moment to consecrate ourselves to the Lord. Let's take this as a moment to, to, to die to ourselves and to make the decision. God, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to do it right. I'm going to do it right because there's too much on the line. There's too much at stake. And we're going, to, we're going to be a church that rises to the occasion. Amen? We're not going to be an adulterous bride. We're going to be one holy and pleasing to God. Amen. Don't forget 5 o'clock tonight. You need to be there. God bless you.